Recording, lights, action. Ben Carpenter, 2.0. Yes. How are you? Very well, thanks, mate. How are you? Good. Are you comfortable? Comfiest podcast setup in the world, straddling this pregnancy pillow. I've seen you wearing your vest today. I thought we might be on video. Yeah. Seemed rude not to. Just banged out a quick 20 push-ups in the toilet before we started filming. And we're training after this as well. Yeah. Sure. You're, you're, going, you're taking charge of that training session. What are we doing? Buys and tries. Every day. Every day. Every day is arm day. <laughs> How are you finding the UK? Uh, I actually like, I like coming back. I, part of me always thought, would I like to live in London? Because it's the city of opportunity. It is. But when I was younger, I thought, I think the 9-5 London rat race would kill me. But actually being back here for a short period of time is really nice because we get to do stuff like this. But don't you think that would kill you if you were in that life? You're not. Uh, yeah, I like it in short stints. But like you, you wouldn't be in that nine to five life, though, would you? Oh, I just mean certain areas of London are very busy. Okay, and I don't think that would tickle my testicles, my proverbial testicles. But doing it in little like couple of weeks or a month or something, it's actually really refreshing. Why would it make you nervous? <laughs> Almost definitely. Almost <laughs> you, definitely. You said before we were recording, every morning you feel what? Nervous. I ba- ne- being nervous is basically my default state of being. It's just how I roll. If there's not an under level, like an underlying level of anxiety, yeah, something's wrong. <laughs> Coming here, what if my Uber's late? What if there's traffic? What really, if the roads closed. I looked to see how quick it would take to get across London on the tube, and it said one station there were works happening between these hours, and I was like, don't know how easy it will be for me to get an alternative route straight in an Uber. And then I send you a message when I'm in an Uber because that way, if I run late, you know that I got in on time. Not my fault. You sent me a screenshot of it. Mm-hmm. But would you actually think that I would care? Uh, no, it's just... For your sanity. Yeah, it's just for my sanity. I show that I've done what I needed to do. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Probably not wrong. I think really, really, really smart people always tend to be quite anxious and nervous. I don't know if that's true, but I'm happy to reassure myself that <laughs> there's a double-edged sword to this and there are some positives. Oh, there's, there's definitely positives. Yeah. But don't you find that... First time I met you, you literally, within five minutes, said bro or bruv. Bruv, you're a fucking weird guy. <laughs> and I start laughing. And you're like, yeah, it's cool, though. Yeah, it is cool. Cheers, weird. Cheers, mate. Weird is cool, though. You yeah. know, and I think people don't embrace their weirdness enough. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't hide it any longer, so I've just started embracing it, really. 100%. Like, you rocked that Ellen DeGeneres hair so well. <laughs> I, said, I said, my haircut is a blend of, like, Ellen DeGeneres, teenage Justin Bieber, and Bobby Charlton comb-over. <laughs> but you know what? When, when, like, when we first met, right? Because yeah. the first podcast we did, it was over lockdown. Shit was popping off, right? Mm-hmm. But the first time we actually met, for some reason, I didn't expect you to be the way you are because all I remember from how do you mean because the way I I am because all I remember is I had a slight worry of like you might be a dick you know I think a lot of people think that do you know why I thought that though because you were spraying champagne in Ocean Beach Club in one of your photos yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. (laughs) and I thought but then when I met you I was like this guy is nothing 
So this guy is nothing like that. And I was like, hold on a second. This can't be right. I, I think a lot of people have thought that. Firstly, a lot of people that train and obviously do a lot of arm days are pricks. <laughs> and a lot of people thought I'd be really like self-obsessed. The other thing, for years I didn't socialise. Like I didn't do lads weekends or anything like that. And then halfway through my 20s, I had a friend that was like, we're going to Ibiza. And he earns well, so he pays for champagne sprays. I don't even like champagne. <laughs> Legitimately, they came out of bottles of champagne and gave me one, and I was like, can I have a mojito or something? And they thought I was joking, and I was like, I'm not really about this life. But there's the occasional photo of me holding a bottle of champagne that I definitely didn't order and almost definitely didn't drink. You know what the mad thing is about the ones people order to spray? I'm pretty sure they cost like a pound or two quid, but they sell it for... yeah ridiculous like people walk out there spending thousands of pounds on shitty champagne which they spray on underage girls because obviously Wayne Lineker he just hired I'm joking <laughs> I was literally like wonder if the legal team are going to get involved <laughs> yeah, on this yeah, one yeah 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 exactly but um so you were never that guy so what what never happened because the first time I went to IB was actually in my mid-20s as well I had zero interest um in that sort of lifestyle as well mm-hmm. I started drinking like 25 well not drink like I've had a drink before that but then I'd never be oh I'd love to have a beer or I'd love to go out and stuff were you the same or were you always I I I started out as like a 19 year old personal trainer and I was one of those guys that was fucking obsessed part yeah. of the reason I talk about people being unnecessarily obsessive about their fitness regimes was because it was me okay. I was the dude that if you invite me out for a beer and a pizza I'd be like no thanks can't do it was it like meal prep shit Pretty much, even though I wasn't com- even though I wasn't competing, I used to do photo shoots and I used to treat them like competitions, but without the speedos on stage. Um, but I was like fucking meticulous, and I sacrificed a lot of my social life to be that meticulous. And then <clears throat> one day, I got invited on a stag do to Ibiza. I've never be- so I'd been ill as well, okay. so I was worried about my health and everything. I'd never been the on illness a- was the current disease yeah yeah so i was very like cautious about what i ate and and it was almost like a paranoia that was embedded on top of someone who was already nervous about food it was like obsessive disordered eating under the guise of fitness and then a medical condition on top that made me really nervous about what i can and can't eat and it all kind of amplified and then i was invited to ibiza for a stag do i was one of the two best men and before i went to ibiza i genuinely thought fuck, how am I going to cope without a gym for seven days? How am I going to cope with alcohol? And I had like proper anxiety. And I think a lot of bodybuilders and like fitness models and stuff will know what I mean. Yeah. But regular people... I know people, what you mean at one point. You reg- attach yourself to that one thing right. that you think you have. It's like your whole world. It's like your identity. Yeah. And regular people would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I went to Ibiza for seven days and had legitimately one of the best weeks of my life. And it slapped me in the face like, what the fuck are you doing? You are missing out on social events like this because you're worried that you might gain 1% body fat because you've been drinking alcohol. And it made me, Ibiza made me reevaluate my life. I did a week like that. made me break up my ex and really? take over the world. It makes you question a lot of things, doesn't it? I, <laughs> Why I, are you laughing? <laughs> I, questioned, I questioned a lot of things and I, I came back and thought, I don't believe I've missed out on stuff. I've missed out on stuff like that over the years. So then since then, me and my friends... <clears throat> No, life gets gets in the way and sometimes you don't socialise as much. And almost like me and my friends once a year would go, let's go to Ibiza for three nights, let's go to Marbet for three nights. Yeah. And sometimes that would be the only time we socialise as a group. 
people traveling and yeah looking after kids and families you know like as like like young men right Mm -hmm. at the time still we're young but i'm getting gray (laughs) don't feel how old are you now 34 oh <laughs> what <was that? laughs> what, what? Mate, what noise is that? You literally, oh, you literally Uncle, <laughs> Uncle Ben. <laughs> Uncle you, li- ben. you literally were like, Ugh. no, 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 not at all, not at all. Thirty-four, mate. Feel fifty. All right. No, you don't feel fifty. You definitely don't look fifty. Carry what, on. What were you saying? What I was saying was, you know, at that time where you know where you're like, you know, when certain guys at that age they get a lot of things out of their system, right? They go out. They shag everything that they see, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is. I think I always told myself that I didn't need that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do need to get at a lot of things out of their system before they kind of get into this next level of maturity so they don't feel like they've missed out later on in life. Do you agree or would you say... Because you like, you've done a lot of travelling in the last couple years compared to what you ever did right mm-hmm. so would you agree with that or i yeah i've traveled more in even the last 12 months than i ever did in the first 30 years of my life probably um and i didn't realize how much i was missing until i saw other places you see other places you see other cultures you see other parts of the world and uh yeah that was actually part of the reason that i feel weird when i come back to england now because i don't feel like i belong here where I grew up is like really tiny rural area. The first village I grew up in, like five to 23 years old, there was one post office that got closed down. There was one bus stop, one village hall and one church. That was it. There was How no, many people in total? Uh, 200 houses, 600 people. Shout out to Great Royal Wright Massive. 600 people? 600 people total. So there were no no restaurants, no cafes, no coffee shops, no nothing. This whole like, you know if you grew up in London, if you wanted to walk to a nearby shop, I couldn't do that. It was literally miles to my nearest town to a nearby shop. I'm pretty sure there's 600 people on this road. <laughs> uh, I mean, it would, yeah, probably like a barrier. <laughs> like just that, yeah. just that little block. So I, I grew up in this really rural, like very sheltered life. And I didn't, I know it sounds weird. And you I, knew everyone. Put it this way, if a if you heard a police siren, people would go to their windows because they'd be like, I was going to Maureen's house. I've just made up Maureen. But it's okay. like, oh, I was going to Maureen's house. I was going to this person's house because it was like so small and close-knit. So up until the age of like mid-20s, my idea of what was out there in the world was, I, I wasn't very clued up on it. And then you go and see parts of the world and think, fuck, there's a different life for me that appeals to my soul more than what I'm used to. Which is why I think you think you've changed in the last few years. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think on like a deep down level I've changed. Like I'm still awkward and introvert and, and weird and all of that stuff. Um, but what I want for myself is different. Whereas before, if you had said, you're going to own a house in the country and work in a job that you like, and that's it. I just thought, yeah, sounds about right. Whereas now I enjoy being able to travel. I enjoy being able to have holidays with friends. I enjoy being able to see parts of the world that I never even realised existed. I think it's the best thing, travelling. It's one of the best things to do to like not only grow, but just find more, find different things about yourself that you never knew. It's like exploring a different version of yourself that you tap into. Because it's almost like 
you gained a following on socials. I think when I first started following you, I think you were like 30 or 40,000, maybe. Like a couple of years ago, a year and a yeah. half, something like so, that. Something, yeah. like, something like that. And then you get that level of exposure and you go somewhere where someone either recognises you or loves your work or whatever in a different part of the world. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for you to be stuck in that small, no offence, in a, like, a small town mindset where that is not going to be enough for you. It's just impossible. Yeah, I, I don't really I don't really know what I want with my life. But when you travel and you see enough places, you start to realise certain things make you happy. Yeah. Like, you'll go to Australia, you'll go to Bali, Ibiza, wherever it is, and you'll have certain, like, check boxes where you'll think, I feel really happy here, but I don't want to live here. And then you'll go somewhere else and think, mm, I like it, but it's not my scene. Yeah. It's not too... It's like, when you sit in a restaurant, you see a list of the menu options. Yeah. But when it comes to travelling, you don't know what the menu options are until you see it. Yeah. You, you know Australia's out there, but until you go there, you don't know what it's like. Yeah. You don't know what Ibiza's like until you go there. Did you like it? Australia? Loved it. Would you live there? Um, so I I was in Sydney and then like Bondi. Yeah. And then went to Byron Bay. Straight away, I was like, I understand why people to move to Sydney. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're used to English culture, it basically feels the same. But you've got this big yellow thing in the sky <laughs> that exudes heat. You're like, oh, this is new and novel. And you can do all your work and stuff and then just walk down to the beach. Very social, like walking around all the time. In here, like even now, the weather's not bad outside, but you don't get people walking as much as you do in... No, people are very active there. I think anywhere anywhere that you go is quite coastal that people live near the water. They tend to be more active as well. But when you go inland, it does get a bit booky. <laughs> What's booky? Uh, <laughs> how would I explain booky, Senai? Strange. strange. Not, when I mean strange, not strange, but like people tend to be unhealthier. Okay. Yeah, it, when you go inland, it, because... Do, do you know what I realised being on the podcast with Mr. Neetup 24-7? Yeah. Realised how much of a difference the country that you're in or the weather that you're in influences how much you walk. So like last year in lockdown, we yeah. were doing... There were a few days where we did literally 500 steps a day because we're in a small apartment, we weren't allowed to leave. Yeah. And when we went to Spain, because the weather was warm and we were near like cafes and stuff... We started doing 15,000 steps a day. And the only thing that had changed is where we lived. So if I had lived in, even like where I used to live as a kid, you, yeah. didn't, you didn't walk to stuff because there was nothing to walk to. You're not walking as a an eight-year-old. There's no destination. Yeah, you don't yeah. walk three miles to your nearest town along a highway. Highway, fucking spending time with Americans, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> along a dual carriageway or, or an A-road or whatever. Um, you don't do that as a kid. So I never walked anywhere. I'll be outside and I'll play. But you don't have the same like oh, I'm going to walk to a coffee shop. I'm going to walk to a yeah. restaurant. I'm going to walk to the shops or whatever. Yeah. To be honest, where I was raised as well, like I didn't, I didn't do, any, I didn't do much of that then because it was always like when it gets dark, it was more like parents were like, "You're not going out now. You go out now, you're kind of looking for trouble." Yeah, like, yeah. In like, East London and stuff. I don't know. I didn't. I'm not gonna lie. The countryside would scare me, man. I ain't gonna do no forest walks. Like <laughs> that, that's your your oh, idea of what countryside like. Yeah. Is like. Yeah. yeah, we just all walk around forests. Yeah. Like so, I feel like that's where you get the serial killers, man. Weekend comes and we're like, which forest do you wanna walk in this weekend? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> but when, like when you say safety, that's a good thing as well. Like there'll be some people that live in areas where if you said go out for a jog or go out for a walk, they'd think, Are you fucking kidding me? because yeah. it's not a safe area. Where I grew up, it was so small and so quiet that if I said to my mum, even as like a, I don't know, seven or eight-year-old or whatever, 
If I said, I'm going to go and play football, I didn't have to say, I'm going to go here. I've got a mobile phone with me. She'd be like, all right, see you later. Because it was such a small village that you re- you wouldn't really see anyone. And even if you saw someone you didn't recognise, it was such a small village, you'd be like, who's that? You don't get oh. that in London because you don't, you, you know, you don't know, don't know anyone really. Everyone you see is a stranger where I grew up. Everyone you saw was someone you recognised. So kids used to play safely and do whatever they wanted. Fuck, I don't know if I could do that. It was it's weird. It's weird in hindsight. But the, there's like an ambition, uh, like discrepancy. If you're in London and you're spending time around people that are successful and they have like an entrepreneurial spirit, I didn't grow up like that. Okay, yeah. Ever. I think I had a lot of that around me. Like it was very like... Um, council estate sort of thing but like every kid either wanted to be a footballer or a superstar yeah so there was always that sort of energy floating around yeah it was always like it was never really had people that were like oh yeah I can't wait to be an accountant one day yeah (laughs) like do you know what I mean yeah yeah, it was always like I'm gonna play for Arsenal one day or I don't know I'm gonna run for Britain whatever it is yeah you know so I think it's it's almost more natural to have that sort of mindset with whatever you try and do yeah. And I think that's why I like being in London because just like you said, it was like, it's a, it's where things can, where you can make things happen. But yeah. I think America's also like that. So what's your experience been like being over there? Because you've been, how did you even get there? I remember when things popped off, you had to go do two weeks in Dubai or something. Uh, so originally, like coming up to two years ago, went to Florida, then went across to LA then went to Australia, then went back to LA, then had to leave LA because of visa. Yeah. Then went to England, then Spain, not allowed to go back to LA because of COVID restrictions. Yeah. Then went to Dubai, 15 days, then went to LA, then visa restrictions again, went to Mexico, back to LA, then back to England. But it's constant, like every time we land somewhere, we know that we have either 90 days or six, or, um, six months before we have to leave. So we're kind of being pushed depending on what travel restrictions were at the time. LA is um, kind of like London in that there's a lot of ambition there. Everyone, it seems like everyone in LA has a goal. Everyone there has an idea. There are a lot more dreamers in LA than I've ever seen anywhere else. But a lot of fake guys, fake people as well. Probably, I don't. I don't but you haven't mixed with. I don't socialize enough with people <laughs> to know what, know what they're like. Um, but you know, the thing that's different about LA is like when you come to London, you feel home. I know you've said this when you go to Australia. Like I like it, but London's where I feel home. Yeah, I'm not like that in LA. I go there and it's like weather's really nice. There's loads of stuff I haven't done before, but I don't feel like settled there. It feels like I'm still on a holiday because the moment I get there, I'm like 90 day countdown. Yeah, I can't think. What car can I buy? Where can we settle down? I'm like, I know I'm going to have to rent, and I know that in three months' time I'm going to have to leave. So I haven't quite got that like experience LA as if you're living there type thing. Do you miss that? More than I realised. Yeah. I, I've enjoyed going to other areas because I love the I love the sun. I love good weather. Yeah. So coming back to England I was actually a bit scared because it feels like going back have you ever been back to like your old primary school or something? Yeah. Once you leave and you go back and you're like this feels small and it feels weird. And I thought it'd be like that. So I came back to England and it felt small and weird because I didn't know where I was living anymore. All my family have dispersed a bit. My friends have dispersed a bit. Yeah. Well, that's why I live, that's why I live around here and not where I was raised. Because I was like, family, my friends were like, why aren't you back in East London or North London? I was like, I can't go back, bro. 
You can't go back. It feels odd. It feels odd. I feel like you're trying to, I think anything that you do, I think it's, I think progress is quite important. I feel like if you're not, if you're not learning or growing, what the fuck are you doing? Some people might not like this, but I feel like you're here one time. So why not make the most out of your life? So even like moving forward, I think is, it's good be obviously being present and appreciating everything. Yeah. But I think there's too much to see and too much to do to be stuck in one place with the same people. So do you know what it reminds me of? When I was personal training manager like LA Fitness in Oxford when I was like 20 or 21 or whatever, when I was first ill and I had to stop working there because I was so ill I couldn't take clients. So I left the gym for a year. And after for I... a year? Yeah, I was oh, off shit. for a long time. So when I got my health back to a level where I could personal train again, <clears throat> I thought, should I go back to LA Fitness Oxford? But it felt like I was going back to my old home where I no longer lived. Yeah. I, like, I used to be the PT manager, highest charging personal trainer, longest running personal trainer. Everyone in the gym knew who I was or recognized my face. Once you've left for a year, you go back. I'm not the PT manager anymore. I don't know the personal trainers. It feels like you break up with someone, they're your ex for a reason, and it's almost like a year later, you're like, mm, maybe I shouldn't have shouldn't have gone. Yeah. It's like at the time, going back to somewhere like that, and same with like where you live, you think, oh, you moved from that area for a reason. Going back there feels sometimes like you're revisiting something that you probably shouldn't revisit anymore. Well, you get that feeling of being that same person, I think. Yeah, it feels like, almost like I've gone back two years. When I go back there. And people expect you to be the same when you're so different. Mm. So like, you almost outgrow the people there, you know? I I felt like, in some ways, I'll never outgrow the people. Like, the people there are my people, my, my family, my, my closest friends. They're all still in a kind of Not similar outgrow area. outgrow them in a way of like, away from them. Yeah, and I know what you mean. Them. As I'm, in like, your mindset is just different. Yeah, it's like, I'm there and I love the people and I miss the people but I don't feel like I belong there anymore. I've, I've outgrown wanting to stay in that place. Yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. yeah it feels odd. That's why it feels odd, and you feel like you, like you don't belong. Yeah, you see people, and you're like, really great to see you, let's hang out, let's hang out a lot, because I don't think I can stay here anymore. Yeah. Squeeze out all the juice that you can, big man, because I ain't coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? That is what I'm trying to do anyway. Um, obviously, last weekend... IFS. Yeah, we spent that, Three days together, two days together, three days, Friday, Saturday, and something insane. It was good, innit? Fucking insane. It's fucking good. It was good. It was, mate, it was a lot of people. It was a lot of fun. How did your, how did your talk go? Because you did well. I listened to like 20, 30 minutes of it. I was there. And what, then you got bored and said, fuck this? No, no, I was just, <laughs> I actually had a panel outside. It was sick. I listened to 20 minutes and I was like, eh, that's no, no, I had, a, I had a panel outside, didn't it? Yeah. I, had a, I had a panel outside. <laughs> Um, I've only done public speaking once so I've been invited to do quite a lot of public speaking gigs actually since the first IFS I've been invited to Lebanon been invited to Dubai multiple times Rav, sick but because of COVID I got invited and then it was like all oh, travel restrictions are becoming iffy and I, I didn't do them But so I've only spoken at IFS 2019 and it was a room of max 50 people probably between 30 and 50 i can't even remember i remember that room on the side by the pool yeah yeah, yeah. and then obviously everything else got cancelled for the last couple of years so when i walked it well when i saw the photos 
on Instagram and I saw how many people that room could hold, I very nearly shat my pants. <laughs> and with Crohn's disease, I mean that literally, <laughs> not figuratively. And so when I walked in there and I saw all the seats, I, was, I mean, I was petrified anyway, literally for two weeks leading up to it. I felt sick every day. I saw you practicing on your stories. I practiced a lot. It's so good that you shared that with people. Though. I think that's such a like, a lot of people will turn around and be like, like, I've done that before, but I haven't put it on my stories. Mm-hmm. I've wanted to kind of hide that and try and come out of a bang. But you've been yeah. very open in showing people how vulnerable you can actually be, which is so important. You know, when you said, when you first met me, you thought I was probably a prick. <laughs> you might not have said probably, maybe, maybe a prick. <laughs> I've met enough people in the fitness industry to know that it's okay to assume that some people are going to be pricks. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes you think they seem like a sound person and you meet them and you're like, what you see on social media is not what you get. Yeah. So the thing with me is I was like, I would prefer to tell people when I'm nervous or when I'm sad or whatever and just be real with people. And I think a lot of people know that I talk about the fact I'm nervous a lot and anxious yeah. a lot on social media. And I was like, it seems weird that I'm going to turn up to this conference and maybe have confidence to step on stage. But yeah. people know that's not really what I'm like. So I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll just show people that I'm practicing. And so many people messaged me saying, I had no idea that you'd be this nervous because we see you talking on video all the time. And I was like, right, but you fuck up a video, you re-record it. Yeah. If you step on stage yeah. and you have a mind blank on what you're saying, you can't do that again. Yeah, but you know what I thought? Um, me, and J- uh, me and James, when we were going up the coast from Sydney to, yeah. to Brisbane and we were getting ready for like the tour, yeah, we're getting each other ready. Like what we're going to talk about, what we're going to say, what I'm going to say, what he's going to say. He's obviously got slides, so he's talking about topics. I'm kind of he's happy. a very simple slide man, though, isn't he? He's like a couple of words on the slide. Yeah, it's and actually he can freestyle. It is, yeah, exactly. So, so I'm like that now as well, right? Well, yeah. I've never really done anything else other than that. But then I thought, and we were talking, we're like, we're only talking about things we already know, so you can't actually get it wrong. Someone said that to me, like, you know the topics well. You can't really fuck them up. But this is my, like, anxiety thing. I'm like, I have 60-minute total slot split in half because I was doing half of it. I was like, I want that 30 minutes or 25 minutes with before and after. I want that to fucking bang. And I was like, I want to know what I'm saying at what time because I want to know how much information I can put in for that 25 minutes. So instead of standing on stage and saying... Here's a study that shows people's weight loss expectations and their actual weight loss realities. I want to step on stage and say, 60 subjects followed a 48-week intervention. Here are the goals they set. 47% of those participants did not achieve their disappointed weight. And those are the things I remember without having to go. Okay. So here's the study. So those are like the things I practice because I want to remember that Because you're all about data, isn't it? Yes. Massive I'm nerd. Not. Massive nerd. On the will at us, we're so opposite. Yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm like a stats person. Yeah, you're like everything. But but you're. I think you also, because when I like look at behavior stuff mm-hmm. with my clients and all the people that I've dealt with over the last like 10 years or yeah. whatnot since starting in the gym, and then when I hear all the study-based data people, sometimes I think data people can get very carried away. Agreed. In forgetting the human side the behaviour side which I think I'm very good at 
You are very good at that. So, but I'm not good with data, but I feel like from the information I kind of gather without writing down to, from talking and seeing people, I can kind of assume what's going to happen. Whereas when I look at numbers, my mind goes, you know, you know that, uh, you know that gif with Alan from Hangover? (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, clip that. that. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like that, but I just, but nothing's actually happening. Do you get what I mean? Do you agree? Or I, I know what you mean. And even though I'm a nerd, I completely agree with what you're saying that people get carried away with it. So um, think of it like this. Let's say you've got massive science nerd. They look into, even like me, look into tiny, tiny topics. Um, we mentally masturbate over questions like... Is there an anabolic window? Like, if you have a protein shake 30 minutes after your workout, do yeah. you get X percent more muscle protein synthesis than if you consume it 60 minutes after your workout? Yeah. A lot of that stuff doesn't fucking matter. And for most people on the gym floor, what percentage of people in the UK already go to the gym? What yeah. percentage of those people go to the gym regularly? What percentage of those people actually enjoy going to the gym? And then what? little sub percentage of that care if you talk about an anabolic window yeah if you said to people i'm not going to talk about science at any point but i'm going to make you look forward to going to the gym and having fun you're fucking winning because that's what most people actually need like statistically most people don't give a fuck about numbers they want to actually enjoy training that's the biggest thing yeah it's like trying to find whatever spike it is within someone what you say or what you do Mm -hmm. to get to that fucking core feeling of them being able to take action yeah one i remember working with a personal trainer and they were they said to me i'm not very science-based a lot of things i don't understand and they used to have clients that would come to me and say things that we would consider quite basic like i've been training and my waist has been going down but my body weight hasn't changed yeah what does this mean and their personal trainer genuinely said i don't know go and ask ben which i'd I loved, I love that you can just say, like, be confident enough with your service. You're like, that's above and beyond what I know. But what they were amazing at is making their clients enjoy going to the gym. Yeah. Because they were fun to be around. They had an infectious personality. It's the same with you. You have an infectious personality. And if you can make people want to exercise, that's more important than wanking over. Would he go and ask you, though? Would he go and ask you why that is? Yeah, he came and asked me. Yeah, good. Because his personal trainer even said, go and ask Ben. So he came and asked me. And he asked me and I gave an answer. That's how I learned most things. Mm-hmm. Because um, a lot of people, a lot of coaches that I've trained with that um, that have helped me as a PT mm-hmm. learn all the things about training principles or the nutrition principles I need to know to get the best out of my clients are people that have liked me being around them. Yeah. So they helped me. So, so my, my theory, and this is like, this sounds really nerdy. It's, I'll make it simple. My theory, make it nerdy. Okay. Oh, let's so, see if I can make it simple. So my theory is if you had like knowledge on a line graph, if you had knowledge there and you had how much you can help people on the other, I think there's a bell curve where you need to know enough to know how to help people, but more knowledge beyond that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to help them more. If you can teach people about calories, if you can teach people about wanting to go to the gym, if you can help them adopt healthy behaviors and you can make it fun if they actually stick with their exercise program that will help more 
than someone that goes in and tries to present loads of data to them. Yeah. That's my belief. Yeah, 100%. Because I think one of the hardest skills of coaching mm-hmm. is getting coaches to understand that they're dealing with people and not fucking robots. Yeah. And the art of coaching itself is trying to get a complex message in a language that a specific individual will understand in a simple manner so they nod their head and do it. Because if you overcomplicate something, mm-hmm. they're never going to apply what they need to apply to maximize their results. Yeah, right? like a lot of nerdy people, and this is me included, this isn't me throwing shade, we will talk about stuff like, oh, a low-fat diet is better than low-carb diets for fat loss. Like, oh, maybe if you follow a low-carb diet, you'll lose point point five a pound more body fat over eight yeah. weeks. Or if you do six meals a day, do you lose slightly more fat than three meals a day? But if someone comes in and goes, you know what, all of that data aside, doesn't fucking matter if you're not going to stick with it. Yeah. Pick something you enjoy, focus on eating, unprocessed foods where possible, and get some like basics in. And you've already taken care of people um, wondering about all the detailed stuff that doesn't really fucking matter. But, that's, but it's important to have those nerds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's imp- I, I think part of the reason my Instagram page ever grew is because people bookmarked posts thinking, if I ever get asked about this, I'm just going to go back. Because I, I've got posts with like thousands of bookmarks yeah. and almost no comments. It's almost <laughs> like people are like, yeah, I'll save that for when I'm in an argument. Yeah, I'll save that for when <laughs> someone asks me about this. Yeah, and that's important to have, which is why like um, the guy that I learned from, Graham, uh, I've got Graham, I've got Andy, I've got a few people that I went to. I went to, Graham was my SNC guy. I remember uh, you telling me about him. Andy was, Andy is like still, he's like, he's an SNC coach, but as well as, he deals with a lot of general prop, a lot of mm-hmm. prep stuff as well. Um, there was a nutritionist back in Sydney and I've got a physio here that I go to at least once a month mm-hmm. and I just pick their fucking brains like a motherfucker. I'm there yeah. asking a lot of questions. Yeah. They say something, I'm like, why? They say that and I'm like, but why? But what if that was this and that was that? Would that then apply? Yeah. And like that is, for me, is like a, brain orgasm for me yeah because they explain it in such a way because i found those people that can explain to me in a way that i understand which i think is so important for individuals to work with people that they can have that connection with because sometimes what happens is people go to a pt board and go who's got the most fucking qualifications Mm -hmm. they go with that person my guys my brother is there with a clipboard yeah (laughs) can't even hold a fucking conversation yeah i mean it's like chatting to a pot plant <laughs> and can't even deliver yeah. something instead of another guy that's the most popular in the gym that's walking around saying hello to everyone, what's going on? Yes, Karen, Lauren, James, what's going on? How you doing? Ben, nice to see you. And everyone's going, fuck, I want to train with that guy. Do, do you know what I did when I started in the gym? Uh, the only thing I did, I spent six hours a day. Like people ask me about this at IFS, how did you get clients? How did you start your business? I spent six hours a day walking around the gym, chatting to people yeah. and saying, how can I help? Yeah. If a guy was doing shoulder press, I'd walk over there. And if there was any feedback that I could deliver in a very not like patronizing fuck weasel yeah. way, I'd be like, love what you're doing. I think you might even be able to get slightly better results if you do this. And yes. If they tried it and they're like, fuck, I felt amazing. Then they're like, oh, have you got any other tips for chest? And then I'd start training them. And then when they, that's w- all I did. And if they needed a PT, you're the first person that they think of. I had a, a guy genuinely came up to me. He looked a bit nervous around a piece of equipment. 
And I walked over to him and said, can I help you with that? Because it was quite clear he had no idea what he was doing. I said, do you want me to help you? He said, yeah, please. And a week later, he came up to me and said, can I pay you to be my personal trainer? Because you're the only personal trainer in this gym that has stopped to talk to me. No one else has even said hello. And you actually came over and said, can I help? Mate. And that was it. I picked up a client just because I was the only person that came. Yeah. I went into a local pure gym. The gyms are available. No yeah. shade at pure gym. Why, how shit are some PTs? I just, like the whole time <laughs> I was there, I saw four of them like just sitting around chatting with each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. One guy pulled out a fucking book. Honestly, sat on the treadmill reading a book. Loads of people in the gym. I was yeah. like, just, he was there for a while as well. Like I know people have got time between sessions. I was like, if you're in the gym, just make yourself seen. Go over and, go over and help people like be of value 100 like, percent. you can help people you've got enough confidence to help people you have an infectious personality to be around people would train with you if they spend enough time to think i want this guy in my life but you have to show them that for them to be to like that, yeah i like this guy's personality i'd have him as a trainer what i used to do was you know the pt t-shirts mm-hmm. uh, which like personal trainer you can yep. train with me i never had that on i always wanted the one without that on so it made me more approachable i did Almost exactly the same thing. So personal training polo. LA Fitness was like black official personal training polo. They say, get out your clipboard, walk around the gym, take people's names. And I was like, I feel like a door-to-door salesman. Yeah. It feels so cringy. So I took it off, put on a just like a gym workout vest, and I would train. Even if I was just stretching or something, I'd just be in the gym. So here's my theory. You know when you're in a club, yeah. and you're standing at the urinals, guy stands at the urinals next to you, suddenly you break out of chat, all right, mate, having a good yeah, evening, yeah. because we're on the same level. Yeah, yeah, As soon yeah. as someone goes to the sink and you're at the urinals, it's different levels now. So I was like, if you're in the gym and people are training, if you're training next to them, it's really fucking easy to go, hey, mate, do you want me to spot you on the bench? Hey, mate, do you want me to help you with this? Because people in the gym often help each other. Oh, do you mind spotting me on this or whatever? So I just wear training gear, train, help people, join in on a spot, start conversation. They'd be like, I'm, I'm Ben, I'm one of the personal trainers here. Let me know if you need anything. That was it. I would do that when I'm taking a piss, but if I look down, I might not be on the same level. <laughs> <laughs> if these pieces are a lot bigger. <laughs> I thought you were going to go the other way. <laughs> I don't want to intimidate this guy. Because <laughs> no, no, no. I wouldn't know that feeling, mate. Don't, don't have that concern. <laughs> so have you done a few po- you've done a few podcasts recently, right? Did J- I know you did James's. That's it. Oh, really? Okay. If we did with Jay Mulderton or them, man. Oh, uh, IFS. The, yeah, like okay. a little mini mini podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I've got this thing with, um, I've got this thing with podcasts. If I agreed to one with everyone who sends me a message, some of them are going to be shit. Yeah. I have people. I've I've got a policy. I don't mind saying this because anyone that's listening probably follows at least one of us. <laughs> I've got a policy that if someone sends me a message out of the blue and says, "Do you want to come on my podcast?" I'll wait to reply. Because I've had people, quite popular people in the industry as well. I'm not going to say names. And I've gone back to it two weeks later and they've unfollowed me. Oh, really? It's literally like they'll follow me, invite me on to their podcast because they want someone with an audience to say, I'll go and follow this guy's podcast. And I'm like, fuck it. If they don't actually care about enough about me to follow me, I'm not going on a podcast with them. And also, you know what this is like. Sometimes you'll chat to someone, you're like, absolutely dead banter. There's no flow. I was like, I don't want to go on a podcast with someone where I think I don't want my followers wasting their time listening to that chat, which was fucking useless. Yeah, I think one of the one of the best things about podcasts and 
people listen to podcasts is I always think of it as whoever's listening to this, it should be like a fly on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm sitting there with so many notes going, so Ben, where did it start? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just such an uh, unorganic conversation that could be, you could do on your own. I don't. Do you understand what I mean? I think I can say this without looking like I'm being bitchy because I'm not trying to be bitchy. I got asked to go on a podcast and I knew someone. I'm going to be really vague about this. I knew someone that went on their podcast and I was like, what was it like? And they said they asked me really awkward questions as if we were interviewing. So one of the questions was, so Darren, if you were driving and there was a billboard with you, what would the slogan next to it say? And I was like, "Fuck it, I'm I'm not going on a podcast with questions." <laughs> I was like, "I was like, I'm not I'm not going on a podcast that feels like I'm being interviewed for a company that's trying to catch you out." Yeah, I was like, "I just want to go on a podcast where people listen to it and think, fuck, I really enjoyed listening to that for an hour, or in my yeah. case, two hours, yeah. or whatever.'" The best ones is I've had an inbox where like someone that doesn't even follow me mm-hmm. and uh, be like, "Hey, man, love the pod. Uh, these are days when I'm free," and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, yeah, I'm like, how do you have the like the audacity? But, but here's the thing: the fitness industry, and I've chatted to you about this before. With social media, there's a very, very blurry line between people that actually give a shit about you and people that just want you saying, "Hey guys, swipe up to listen to the podcast I went on." Yeah. There are loads of people that honestly couldn't give a fuck about me, and if I didn't have however many followers. They would never ask me for a podcast because we've never chatted. We're not friends. Yeah. We don't know if we even have a yeah. decent conversation. They're like, oh, can you come on my podcast, please, mate? I would like to think that like, anyone that like, I have on or even when I go on, so it's like I'll, I add some level of value. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from, it comes from like good energy, like vibing off people. It yeah, doesn't, I doubt that. Yeah, like I've done podcasts where I don't know the person and that's fine. But you know, sometimes you don't know people, but when you chat to them, you just vibe Goes straight well. away. So you're like, yeah, I'll do a podcast for you, bro. Not a problem. Another friend uh, that was on one TV show. Um, what's the one on Netflix? It's like a Love Island. It's too hot to handle. Some shit like that. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, their management, someone that I know, management messaged me going, hey, this person would love to be on your podcast. They really love your podcast. I'm like, cool. He's got my fucking number. Tell him to message me himself. <laughs> Fucking stupid. Cheeky I said, you're fucking stupid. I said, oh. before you reach out to me, like these are agencies. Yeah. I said, before you reach out, maybe check if your guy follows me or not, if I know yeah. him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, this is such a dumb approach because it's like so unnatural. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I hope we're deep enough in the podcast that whoever did this to me isn't listening anymore. So I won't. I hope they are. <laughs> <laughs> so I was once at a fitness event. Yeah. Um, and there was one table left for breakfast. One seat and one table. Does it begin with a B? <laughs> <laughs> or I? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Wait, I, like, <laughs> I won't answer either of those. <laughs> so there's one, one seat left, uh, one table. The yeah. only seat in the restaurant for this buffet breakfast. Sat yeah. down. The guy made, the guy or the girl, they made really awkward conversation with me. And it felt like they were probing me. It wasn't like, hey, mate, I'm so-and-so. Nice to meet you. They were asking me questions that make me really uncomfortable for yeah. someone that's, you know, 9 a.m. as I'm trying to tuck into my breakfast. <laughs> so a few months later, their assistant sent me an email and asked if I wanted to go on their podcast. And I said, oh, I've actually met them. Yeah. 
I won't say. I've actually met them before. Yeah, I can do this date. And they replied and said, oh, I don't remember meeting you. Here's the time that I can do. And I was like, I don't think I would have put that in, but I don't mind. This is wait. how dumb yeah. people are. But wait for it. They gave me a date. I agreed to that date. Two weeks later, when that date rolls around, I'm like, I haven't had any confirmation on what time we're doing. They replied, replied and said, sorry, I've been on holiday. I can't do it anymore. So imagine I said to you, 14 days from now, can we do a podcast? You reply that day and go, yep, sure, why not? 14 days later, you say, so what time are we doing? And they go, sorry, I didn't read your email. I was on holiday. It's like, if you're on holiday for the whole 14 days and you knew you wouldn't check your inbox, don't read, don't send a fucking email inviting someone on. But also they did it through their assistant. So then, as my following grew, yeah, they invited me back on. And yeah. I was like, I'm not fucking doing this. Yeah, I'm yeah. not, that's, that's rude. No, 100%. 100%, no. No. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> do you? Yeah, I do now. I can guess. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I thought you might guess. I can guess, and they're a fucking idiot. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard a few people that, that have said, "You don't." I just I don't like I don't like disingenuous friendships. No, no. Like I agree. if I can't sit down and chat with someone over a coffee, yeah. What's the point in going on their podcast and being yeah. like, "Oh yeah, swipe up to this"? Mate, I find it difficult to relate to people in the fitness industry. Because most of us are absolute dicks. It's not even that. I just, I think a lot of, a lot of. Ego? No, not even ego. I think where I'm from is very different to where majority of the fitness industry is from. And usually it's outside of London. Do you know any other Londoners in the fitness industry? Um, That you can think of. Not influencers, fitness industry. I think there's a difference. Where's the line between personal trainers and influencers nowadays? Paul Alima is an influencer. As in, Paul Alima, he's not. He gets paid to. Yeah, as in he gets, he, he'll say this himself, he does ads. He gets paid to, yeah. Yeah, and um, and he doesn't do like fitness-based stuff or he, he's growing flu from viral videos about like bands, like, which I do as yeah, well, obviously, yeah, yeah. but I don't, I don't, I, I, I coach, I, I, do, I earn money from coaching, right? I don't know any personal trainers from London yeah. that aren't influencers. Yeah. I don't think. Okay, yeah, because there isn't any. So, even when I first ever went to Body Power, I I, I did I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like they don't even respect me here because I'm just not that same guy. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. when and then I did the B two B at IFS and I got a next level of respect from personal trainers that I've never had. Question for you: Hundred percent of the people you've ever met in the fitness industry, yeah. How many of them would talk to you differently if you didn't have an Instagram following? Big man, they did talk to me differently compared to now. It, they, the energy it pisses me off. The energy is one of is my different. worst things. The energy yeah. went from when they first met me when I had like mm-hmm. nine thousand followers or whatever, mm-hmm. which is fucking ridiculous, right? When like when I first went to an event, compared to now, the way they talk to me is very different, mm-hmm. and it's mad because I'm I wouldn't I'm not like that at all. I'm exa- I don't care who the fuck you are. If I know you, I know you're exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I'll talk you ex- talk to you exactly the same. Like. Yeah. I feel that energy from, I felt that yeah. from people, yeah. which is, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it just shows what people's agendas are, mm-hmm. you know? And it and it's sad, it's sad really, because initially we're out there to help people. And I, I've said this before at talks, I'm out there to help people, but it makes me feel good to help people. One of my, you one, know what I mean? Whereas some people I think just do things for their ego and that is, and status, ego and status, that is it. So a few years ago, I might have told you this before, and I'm definitely not mentioning names because I think you're actually friends with them. Okay. Um, a few years ago, <laughs> tell me after. I met someone who was really, really fucking lovely. 
you know when someone you just chat and you can tell they care and they're very complimentary it's very nice like yeah decent person i met them a few years later i hadn't seen them in ages when they had a much much bigger following i promise you they walked past me and blanked me james smith <laughs> there's actually a guy called Darren Cartel he said I like 20 minutes of your talk and then I backed off again honestly he walked past me and blanked me and I was like what the fuck Shut and I was like does this person think that they're an A-list celebrity now because they've got a social media following and I genuinely made this like kind of like this commitment to myself thinking I don't think I'm ever going to be that type of person but if for a moment you get to the point where you're like oh X number of people follow me so I'm not going to be a nice human. I won't lie, I'll tell you. Tell me. I'll be like, tell man, me. you're a dickhead now, bro. Yeah. Mate, honestly, <laughs> I reckon, honestly I reckon say you're that. you're 5,000 followers away from it. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, all I'm saying is if we ever do podcast three, you're going to have to speak to my agent or my assistant. <laughs> yeah. But like, even people at IFS said, oh, you made so much time to chat to people. And I was like, of course I'm going to fucking yeah, make that's time. Why like, what? They do the event. It makes me think, what type of person do you think I am? Like, just run off backstage, like, not chatting to people afterwards. But there are people like that. There are. For sure. There are people like that. So you can see So you can see why they will get shocked about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is which is sad. But like um you, I think I think we've got very cool fucking jobs and it's fucking yeah. amazing. And I think the day you like can't take you for granted. Like even like IFS, the weekends, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow I've been paid to fly out to Edinburgh to do a talk. Mental. Hotel, flight, to do something I enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's fucking cool. Yeah. Right? So, and then the day after, I'm opening for James's show, mm-hmm. right? With my best friend. I'm touring my best friend, right? Yeah. And then I, and then I get a f- flown home. Yeah. Right? And then I chill here, watch fucking TV, whatever it is. And sometimes, like, last few weeks, on the Sunday I've got back from events, I've been really tired. Like, my brain has mm-hmm. been... But then I stop and I think... This is sick. This is sick. Like, it's a blessing. You've got to be grateful. And I, you can never take it for granted because it's what you it's what I've always kind of wanted. And I'm sure you, you do as well because a level of, like, you want to succeed. You want greatness. And I think that's, that's amazing. And then with that, I think you have to be able to put your energy into people. If you have any level of influence to make someone smile when you don't give that person the time and the date, if you put yourself in that scenario, mm. then you're a fucking dickhead. Bro. Mate, I find social media terrifying. I feel Why? like, I honestly feel like I have a personality that shouldn't be on social media. So like, here's an example. Um, I used I used to reply to every single message I got. Every single message. And I remember one, it was like one day a couple of years ago, I made a post on World Mental Health Day. And I said, I had to reach out to someone when I needed it. And I want everyone else to feel like they can reach out to someone when they need it. And I promise you, I had so many messages off the back of it that I replied to every single one because it was important. People yeah. telling me really personal stuff. I stayed awake until whatever time in the morning. I spent six hours straight replying to messages and what i have in my head is if i if i reply to 100 people and i ignore 100 people i feel bad for the 100 people i've ignored because i feel like they've got an unfair service compared to other people when you've asked people when you've told people they mm -hmm. can reach out yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so i i will spend ages replying to messages but i don't feel good 
about replying, I feel bad for the people that I haven't had the time to reply to. And it freaks me out. So at IFS, I literally had people queuing, which is the weirdest thing for my psychology to even (laughs) grasp. I was like, how uncomfortable do I feel that people are queuing to chat to me? I'm just literally just a personal trainer. But it's lovely. But every so often, I would see someone queuing. And after 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you can see that they're like, I'll just come back later. I would see it out of the corner of my eye and I'd feel bad for that person. And sometimes I would see them later and I would call them over and say, sorry, I saw yeah, you yeah, waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it freaks me out. I feel bad for everyone that I didn't get to be nice to because there are too many people to take care of. No, of course. And it bothers me. Yeah, I get you. But you know what? Were you, were you, were you ever the person on the other end? I what, was. waiting to queue to people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was. Who was it for you when you were? Um, I think I probably queued for a few people. So when I grew up, it was always like the male fitness models. It was always like, okay. I like that dude because they were in magazines. It was never like I like that personal trainer. Social media wasn't really um, I didn't have that. like it is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I got, I got into it as the guy that reads Men's Health magazine. And I'm like, I like this dude's physique that's what I kind of aspired to okay I was one of those I wasn't queuing up for someone because I like their personality okay I queued up because they're a bodybuilder or a popular fitness model or whatever I never did that not for fitness for other like footballers and all that for athletes yeah all day man you saying bodybuilders aren't athletes bruv that's a whole different (laughs) subject (laughs) I know the controversy (laughs) Um, yeah they're athletes I mean Standing still is a sport. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I ju- like the thing is, I remember I I like love bodybuilding. Yeah. I the only thing for me, I was too nervous to ever want to get get on stage. Um, that was literally the only reason I didn't go up was like standing yeah. on stage in budgie smugglers. No thanks. But everything else within the culture, yeah. I embraced fully. And I was like, this is a weird fucking sport. People are putting on, including myself, putting on layers of fake tan baby oil to flex in front of strangers and have their photos taken I was like, I'm under no illusions that this is normal but I think any form of exercise is a form of building building your body yeah so like I think any any form I'm building my body with whatever I'm doing whether it's jiu-jitsu or not I'm building on my yeah. body what I don't like is which we don't really need to go into is like you know when you see an athlete right a footballer a runner a this a that they've got athletic talent the walk, the confidence, the aura is different. Mm-hmm. I just think a lot of people start bodybuilding from insecurities. Oh, I agree. So therefore, it creates, it's almost building the insecurity more, but hiding it under a big body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you see the athletes, like track athletes, footballers, rugby players, the ones got that trans uh, transfer from that into bodybuilding, mm-hmm are the ones that succeed the most because their mindset and mentality, I think, is very different. Do you I, notice that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I Alima is a prime example. Athlete. Yeah. And now does like, not I want to say bodybuilding, but builds on his He's body. A He's, a dude, yeah. He's a lifter. He's a lifter. And I don't think I could say anything insecure about him because he's gone through the... Because challenges you go through in a sport from... The banter you get in the changing rooms, yeah. people ripping into your sister, your mum, your missus, the yeah. jokes. Yeah. They dig deep into your feelings, bruv. So when a bodybuilder yeah. comes and tries something and you go, big man, your left bicep is looking slightly smaller than the other one. 
And my guy is there on the fucking gym floor, like in the mirror, like this. Oh my god, oh my mate! God. I, Do you know what I mean? I pr- I promise you, the first ever photo shoot I did, which is just like for me, for my own, whatever insecurity, maybe. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I promise you that when I finished, a guy came over who was like one of the owners of the gym, proper like bodybuilding coach and judge, um, in London. Some people might already know what that is. Came up to me and said, "You've got a great physique." Have you ever competed? And I was like, oh, I don't know, like standing on stage, a bit weird for me. Genuinely said, bear in mind we just started chatting. First thing you need to do, shave your forearms. That is hiding the definition. Next photo shoot, shave your forearms. Secondly, you need to build about seven kilograms of muscle mass on your legs. It's like your forearms are too thin. You need to work on your neck. You need to work on your delts. And I was like, I literally left thinking, I thought I'd achieved something and I've left feeling more insecure than when I went in. <laughs> and like bodybuilding cultures like that, you could compete and you could train for fucking years and someone will go, you've got a great physique, but your medial deltoid is lacking. Yeah. And you will go through a whole medial deltoid specialization phase <laughs> to make sure you have the most symmetrical physique. And yeah, it's it in a sport where you are basically becoming hypercritical of your f- own physique. I find it hard to be in... S- to be very secure with how you look because your whole sport is picking holes in how you look. I do love the old school bodybuilders though. Old school bodybuilders. They're just fucking monsters, bruv. They just go in there and just fucking go get it. There's no like, periodize what, bruv? Go lift heavy. What? Um, imagine me as like one of those enthusiastic teenagers. I was the type of guy that I'd be like, measure out my beta alanine, measure out my creatine, monohydrate, my citrulline malate. And I was like, I'm going to have it 30 minutes before I train. I train it this time of the day. It's like fucking meticulous. I chatted to a, a, an old school bodybuilder, as in he was a natural guy and his physique side by side with mine in bodybuilding terms put me to shame. He he had an insane physique. And I genuinely said, bro, what pre-workout do you use? <laughs> and do you know what he said? Uh, I drink like, I have a cup of tea and eat a scone. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. And yeah. there's, there was me that was like trying to measure all this stuff out to be perfect. And I was like, all he's done is trained consistently for fucking years. He's eating a scone and drinking a tea. And there's me with my however much money I spent on supplements, most of which I don't even bother taking now because I didn't think they fucking did anything. And I was there trying to be super meticulous. And he's like, don't know, drink a tea and have a scone, mate. But I've got something similar. Uh, my boys that I used to PT with in London, like mm-hmm. two of my closest friends, you've got Zane and Nathan, uh, Two two big Caribbean brothers, and then yeah. we had another guy, and he was like, he was a smart guy. He knew his stuff. But my boys, they used to get the best gains. Yeah, no program. There was no program. Yeah, there was only protein, but pure hard fucking work and intensity. Yeah, back day, cool, big man. We got hundred pull ups. Yeah, deadlifts, everything, right? Yeah. They, we'll do deadlifts on back day. Yeah, know what I mean, not like a posterior day, just back day. Yeah, and the deadlifts, he was so strong that it looked like he was doing an RDO when he was deadlifting. You know those guys, mm-hmm. right? And then the other guy used to try and periodize everything, and my boy used to be like, "Bro, you're such a pussy, yo. Yeah, just fucking go and train hard, innit? And I almost feel like sometimes. The really like periodizing and the really intelligent personal trainers is almost a way 
to avoid hard work. <laughs> I so I went on a strength and conditioning course fucking years ago, and um, the one of the programs they basically give programs intentionally to show people what hard work felt like. So it wasn't necessarily the smartest program. They knew it wasn't the smartest program, yeah. but they wanted to give people glimpses because you're only there for a couple of days. Yeah. I'm going to give you a glimpse of what this is like, give you a glimpse of what this is like. And we finished this training session. I was two sets in, and this was hard. Um, it was, they'd called it death circuits. That's where it's at. And it was like squat, bench, pull-up, deadlift, in a circuit, 12 rep max on each. And they're like, this is going to be hard. I got two sets in. And I swiftly left the gym because I genuinely thought I was going to throw up or shit my pants. I said, I got, we're getting graphic now. Yeah. I walked down to the toilet and I was like, there's a toilet and there's no sink. I'm going to have to pick which one I do because I'm not sure what's coming first. I felt that nauseous. And when I went upstairs, there were people still training and I couldn't carry on. I felt fucking dreadful. You know that point on the night out, you've had too much alcohol and you're like, yeah. there's no coming back from yeah, this yeah, now. Yeah. I felt fucking dreadful. And I went and sat back in the classroom and I was like sitting there, head between my knees. And about 30 minutes later, someone came in and one of the guys teaching the course was like, basically said, some of you motherfuckers aren't even sweating. It's not about the program, it's what you put into the program. Yeah. And you will very rarely ever meet a proper bodybuilder that doesn't go balls to the wall and yeah. train fucking hard. And in the same way that I said, people get too focused on like the nerdy stuff that they focus on stuff that doesn't matter. I think it's the same in bodybuilding. People get so focused on, like you say, stuff that doesn't matter that someone can come in with hard work and consistency and they will overtake them because these matter more than some of the nerdy things that people are like fine tuning exactly. and, and wanking over. For individuals that are listening to this, mm -hmm. what supplements would you say are the key ones people should be using on a daily basis? Um, what, like body composition? Yeah. I don't think there's anything that people need to take. Yeah. I have spent a, a small fortune on supplements over the <laughs> decade and a half of what I've been training or whatever. So, like, there's good evidence behind caffeine improving someone's workout performance, um, maximal power, for example, strength. However that doesn't necessarily mean that people should take it every day. There is yeah. going to be some level of habitual adaptation where um, that dwindles off. There is some evidence on citrulline malate, yeah. but it's very equivocal. And okay. even if it helps, it probably doesn't help a lot. So there's like one study where they basically got people doing high rep sets of bench with very little rest. And towards the latter sets the people that took citrulline malate got an extra like rep or two. Okay. So like we're talking fucking minor stuff. Yeah, Most yeah. people don't even monitor their program enough to know if it made a difference. Yeah. Um, protein, if someone is not consuming enough protein from their diet, can be convenient. Like beta alanine has some small effects if people are doing very high rep work or like endurance work. Yeah. There are other supplements like people talk about fish oils or whatever. Yeah. But I honestly think that most of it is... Um, dietary dependent yeah like so, if like even creatine if someone is consuming a lot of meat they might not get the same effect as a vegetarian or vegan so some people take creatine and they're like a non-responder and they notice nothing do you take creatine mm -hmm. how much uh i take five grams a day do you do that do you do that over uh, like a cycle or just consistently i take it consistently 
And even now, even though I track everything I do, I honestly couldn't tell you if I know it's a difference. If you had to sell it to me to take, I've never done like a, I've only maybe used it once a couple of years ago for yeah, two weeks. And I, I feel like I didn't monitor it enough. I was thinking about it because I always tell mm. people, I'm like, I don't like relying on anything. I don't like to be that guy going, can't lift today, I don't have straps. Do you know what I mean? I don't like relying on anything. I can't, I ain't got my belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, I know exactly what you mean. So therefore, I like to not, but if I want to take recovery, performance mm-hmm. up, do you, do you reckon, not only for myself, but for people listening, creating could be an option? Because there's always the fem- females going, should I take creatine? I'm like, yeah, you can. But... Yeah, so creatine is just is naturally occurring in meat, for example. So if someone has a high meat diet and they supplement creatine because it's like building up levels in your body, you have like creatine saturation. So if someone has a diet that's naturally high in creatine, they might start taking it and think, I notice literally nothing. Yeah. Whereas people that have a low meat diet, like vegan, vegans or vegetarians, might notice more so. But I think that's part of the reason why there's like a very... Um, significant inter-individual difference. Some people notice fuck all. Some people notice, I say quite a lot, an extra couple of reps when they do their sets. Yeah. But even so, most people in the gym statistically don't track their workouts enough where they're probably going to go, shit, I hit two extra reps on that. Yeah. If people are, are, are using exactly the same workout when they're training, they know how many reps they're going to hit on a certain weight, then squeezing an extra rep or two is easier to measure than people that just... Mix up their workouts because you do retain a bit of water with creatine, in it. Yeah, that's that's always my big story with my clients. They're like, "Doing? Can I use it?" I'm like, "Yes, but listen, hold on. Mm-hmm. Are you doing all the very basic things I'm asking you to do? Yes or no? If you're not, then maybe why don't we focus on that? Because the last thing I need is without you even applying any of those things, worrying about what you're adding on top. Exactly, and trying to think that's the solution when really it's not. Yeah. Then on top of that, you weigh an extra kilo or two because you're retaining a bit more water than usual. Then I don't need you panicking for no reason. A lot of people freak out if their weight goes up a little bit. But like, like water, people, as soon as you hear water retention, a lot of people think, oh, subcutaneous water, so I'm going to look like I've gained a little bit of fat. And it's like, even muscle tissue is water. There's that extracellular, intracellular. So when people gain a little bit of water, I honestly, I used to take creatine even going into photo shoots. And if I honestly thought that there was visible water retention, I obviously wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I, To me, it, it made fuck all difference, I don't think. And as long as you're banging gym and intent weight anyway, it's going <laughs> to... Mate, that is it. If you're like, if there's anything that you could teach people, bang gym. Yeah. Did I say that right? Yeah, bang gym. Bang gym. Yeah. Bang gym. Be consistent. Train hard. Exactly. Progressive overload. Yeah. Eat enough protein, enough calories. Yeah. Everything else doesn't really fucking matter that much the water and the carbs they'll go into the right places <laughs> you know what i mean look at this guy's arms look I'm that's not, it, it just goes there it, do, it does do a little there. flex for the camera oh, i feel like a right cunt <laughs> <laughs> people used to do that like body power they're like can i see your abs i was like i do have other things to offer like shut your face yeah i've got a picture of shut you and abs. me in marbella at nikki beach Oh, and your yeah. abs look ridiculous. I looked at that and I said, I need to lean out. So I dropped six kilos when I came back. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Off the back of me. Mate, yeah. Crohn's disease, mate. Weight falls off me. 
has that got does that make you anxious or nervous or does you being anxious or nervous affect that in any way do you reckon what you mean like if my stress levels go up yeah um all right. For people that don't yeah, know what yeah, it yeah. is, can you give like okay. a quick... Yeah, so Crohn's disease is autoimmune and it's otherwise known as a form of inflammatory bowel disease. Other people might have heard of ulcerative colitis, which is in the inflammatory bowel disease family. So long story short, when I had a camera inside me, not fun, don't recommend it. Um, better ways to spend a Friday night. Uh, the consultant basically was like... The way you gave me eye contact when you said that. <laughs> I do not recommend it. I do not, I recommend, do not recommend it. it. Yeah, like I hadn't even really chatted on to the, the casting couch. <laughs> on the casting couch. <laughs> yeah, so just meet a consultant. They're going to put a camera in a very delicate end of me. And they showed me the photos afterwards. And if there's like a photo of my bout, it looked like a fucking airstrike had hit it. Really? Oh, yeah. Did they like, show you like a compare? Uh, no, because I'd never had one done before. Mm. So it's like all this raw ulcerative tissue and they said to my mum um his it's so ulcer his ulcers his ulcers are so severe that he's at risk of a perforated bowel if that happens he's going into surgery um and at the time that was when i was at my worst um i like when i was first admitted to hospital i had to track every time i went to the toilet and it was 26 times in 24 hours. Um, so bear in mind, like, when your stomach hurts, you know when you're in Bali, yeah. and your stomach hurts, and you're worried, how much do you eat? Oh. So imagine that. I'm not saying, like, I severity, know. but imagine that pretty much every day for weeks, months, sometimes even years, Crohn's disease or inflammatory bowel disease is often associated with weight loss. And part of it is because food goes through you. Yeah. It's like something called metabolizable energy. If your body's not using it, more goes through you than most people. But secondly, just didn't fucking eat. At the time, my stomach hurt so much and I was going to the toilet so much. Eating was often an inconvenience. Like, my mum has it. She gave it to me. Out of all the things I could inherit, she gave me fucking Crohn's disease. <laughs> and some furniture. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I've got a great relation. I've got a great relationship with my mum. I was yeah. like, "You gave me Crohn's disease. You can't." She called me a cunt, and it's fine. It's all love. Um, so it's like, oh, if I eat, I'm probably going to have to go to the toilet more later today. So I just yeah. won't bother eating. Yeah, the fear of that. You just yeah, and and it it creates a lot of psychological issues around food. The number of times I've been out with friends, girlfriend, whatever, it's like, oh, we're going to go and eat here, and in my head, I'm literally thinking. Can I eat that? Is it going to upset my stomach? If it does upset my stomach, am I going to have to leave? Are there toilets there? And honestly, ask anyone with inflammatory bowel disease, anyone, they will tell you that before they go out the house, they will wonder where the toilets are. Someone came up to me at IFS and said, I sent you a message because I have Crohn's disease and I asked if I could talk to you about it. And she made a comment that even getting on the train to go to IFS, she will wonder where the toilets are. It goes through people's minds all the time. And my symptoms honestly aren't bad enough to do that. I don't, I've never had to run to the toilet. A lot of people do. Um, so I don't freak out about it as much. Almost like an FBI agent walking into a room, knowing where the nearest exits are. My man's thinking about toilets. You will literally assess it, honestly. Um, and I, I'm not like that. I, my symptoms honestly aren't as severe as they have been in the past. It's, I've had really bad episodes and the rest of the time is, is fairly fine. Um, 
But yeah, when when you become scared of eating a lot of things because you're worried if it's going to upset your stomach, it's very hard to gain weight. If I start eating more and I start eating more calories to try and take my weight up, at some point my stomach's going to go. I don't like doing this anymore. Because you're a muscular guy, bro. So, but I yeah, but I mean, I've weighed. So I basically weigh the heaviest I've weighed since I was nineteen. How much do you weigh in kilos? Uh, about eighty four now, but I haven't. I've basically been in the same weight window for since I was ill. Like once I regained weight, so my body never really changes that much. A photo of me four years ago, I'm pretty much as muscular, roughly the same body fat. I don't really ever change. I don't go through like bulk and cut cycles because if you said to me, do you want to gain X number of kilos, just increase your food intake by 30%, I know that after a week or two, my stomach's going to go, now fuck you. Yeah. And then I'll go back to accidentally dieting because it makes my stomach feel better. I feel you. My body's changed as well, but it's a weird change. I don't know. Wrestling, jiu-jitsu is like changing. I was looking at me and Smith's physique actually from like mm. when we started. Like my neck's a lot bigger. I think from getting choked out all the fucking time. Yeah. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I've, I've had people messaging me saying, you've got a great physique but your neck's too skinny. That epitomizes how <laughs> fucked up bodybuilding culture is because, I mean, literally over a dozen people on YouTube have said great physique, but you're next to skinny. Wait, the best banter is when bodybuilders say, if they do come for me, and they make a comment like, what PT, this guy, look at his physique. And I'm like, bro, this, you don't understand. <laughs> this this is like the most deadest insult ever. It's it shit, never, yeah. shit banter. But it just shows them saying that, if I said the same thing back. <laughs> Cry. <laughs> yeah. Cry. Yeah. They'd be like, this guy's in shit shape. How can he be a PT? You're like, to be honest, mate, I'm not even sure your delts are symmetrical. <laughs> They're like, what? what the fuck? The fuck? Do you get that a lot though? Um, Surely on your social media now, aren't you having enough of a ripple effect that people are like, this isn't about the guy flexing on? No, but you get the odd one that follows new or sees a post or something. And they and say something like that. Yeah, because they don't know what we're about. And then a couple times uh, where met people. And they've gone, oh, fuck, you boys are a lot bigger in real life. That's always nice. <laughs> it's always nice. I don't yeah. know why that is, though. I don't know why people assume I'm small. I'm not small. I'm not I'm not a big guy. Yeah. But I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm small. Someone said that to me at IFS. You look much more muscular than you do on Instagram. Bro. And I was like, it's just because I've been banging out sets of press-ups in between <laughs> chatting to people. But it could be. You know what I think it could be? And uh, I had a sprinter on. Uh, Harry Double A, big lad, big lad, big lad. He said, "People probably think you're not bigger in person because everything is in proportion." Yeah. So therefore, well, you don't have like weird delts. Yeah, like my arms are not too long for my upper body, or my legs are not too short for my. I don't know. Maybe people probably think I always thought people would think I was bigger than I was because I film everything. It's like basically my torso and my body is 80% shoulders and biceps by mass. Do you brush your hair before you film your videos? Uh, you know, here's, this is a true story. Because I've got a nice camera and I recorded in like 4K and stuff, I suddenly got way more nervous about being in the spotlight than I ever did. And this is like synonymous with personal training. When you put your put yourself out there, you start worrying about shit more. So like I would honestly record videos 
and I'd be like, I've got a fucking sunscreen smear that I haven't quite rubbed in, or I need to trim my nose hair, or my hair looks shit, you know, nine videos out of ten or whatever. And it, I, I end up having more, a more extensive grooming regime before filming videos than I used to. Because it's your life now, that's why. Yeah, but that I think that's what personal training is. So there's genuinely research um, that looks at personal trainers and their attitudes towards themselves, as in like body satisfaction, how they feel. And the fear is when people start working in the industry, because they're being judged for how they look and how yeah. they act and their behavior, they recalibrate their expectations on how they're supposed to look. So suddenly people are worried that they're not muscular enough or not lean yeah. enough or whatever. So when I went on social media and I started doing videos, I started worrying about shit that I'd never worried about. I didn't even have a nose hair trimmer. Now every yeah. video, I'm like, better yeah, do that man. just in it's case. It's good, bruv. I need that shit, man. I'm a hairy motherfucker, bruv. <laughs> yeah, but you, yeah. you know, your grooming regime, I saw you in Marbella, and bro. you were, like, impressively hairless. Yeah, bruv. My fucking, all my eyebrows and shit. Imagine it would all connect. Mate, if I didn't groom for a year, so my, my chest hair grows up my neck into my beard oh really back shoulders arms so when, when i first had my like chest wax for a photo shoot <laughs> i genuinely was like i don't even know where they stop because my hair goes down here it goes down here it goes up here it was kind of like shaving a square on a sheep you have to you, you just have to keep going or you have to decide where you cut it off and i was like i can't just cut it off here and have like a this bit so i was like all the way there all the way there back shoulders the whole lot do you know what happened? i'm hairy like chewbacca oh really do you know? Actually, I can tell from your eyebrows. Yeah, thick eyebrows. Yeah, thick eyebrows, bruv. Do you know what happened first time I waxed my chest? I, I did it when I was like 18 or something. Nipples bled. My sister, everything bled. Yeah, yeah. My chest was bleeding. It was mad. It was mad scenes. Yeah. And I just and I had a white t-shirt on. <laughs> it was mad. It was not a good look, man. I went to a mutation. I was like, I've got a photo shoot in a week or whatever. Can I pay to have it waxed? don't realize how bad waxing is until you have it done not even like the like the pain of it is one thing but i my skin was like so speckly and so spotty and i bled so much that even though you've got no hair there anymore yeah. i couldn't have photos like that no it's mad i look like a like I, I had worse acne than when i was a teenager <laughs> from doing hair removal I, I remember the girl at college even asked me like why are you doing that for and i was like why the fuck do you shave your legs in it <laughs> I was like, let me live in it. I feel like you're rekindling a traumatic memory for me. Yeah, now man. you've said that. You I remember you said that. I, I remember like, a girl in school that said, oh, you've got a hairy chest. I wonder if she triggered something. And now all of a sudden I've got this extensive grooming regime. But you know what? The hair thing, I remember being in like year eight. When yes. did you start growing body hair? I bet bro, you went through puberty at like eight. Bro, I had a tash in year eight. No. <laughs> I was that kid, bro. <laughs> And you know what? Girls didn't like it. And I was always like, fuck, I wish I was like the white boys. Yeah. I wish I was like English, you know, so I didn't have to deal with that shit. But yeah. then my voice broke the summer of year nine. Yeah. Came back as a year 10. Yeah. The beard started to grow out. And my gosh, along came Becky. My gosh. <laughs> my came, gosh. Along came the girls. Yeah. Because they went from vibing the Justin Bieber vibe. Yeah. To now liking the Turkish twist. <laughs> a bit of olive skin, a bit of Mediterranean. Yeah. Yeah. Some hair on the face. Were you that were you that kid in football that hit puberty before everyone else and everyone else was terrified? I remember being a kid in football and I swear down one of the people we we're playing against, I was like, that fucker looks like he's twenty five years yeah, old. I w- like beard, 
red face, moustache. A little bit, yeah. but I didn't stand out too much because no. I was playing ball. All my boys were African as well. Yeah. So there was definitely, I had some Africans with fake passports that were definitely older. Oh, no, mate. Because they used to banter and be like, listen, brother, I know you've got grandkids in fucking Nigeria. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we didn't have that. Like, my, my primary school was literally 100% white. Yeah, and I'm my not surprised. Se- and my <laughs> I'm not surprised. Like, whiter than mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah. My secondary school was like, uh, it was probably 99.9% white. Yeah. There, were, there was literally one black brother and sister that came in halfway through school. And I think that <laughs> brother was Brother and sister, I love the way you said It was literally that. brother and sister as well. It was like, yeah, two black siblings came in. They were the only black people in the whole school for the whole time I was there. That is mad. It's normal for... But that's why, like, you know when people come from, like, those towns to, like, London, I'm like, it's, it's fucking normal for people to not be as educated as you would be if you were to mm-hmm. be raised in London. You can't really say nothing about that, do yeah. you know what I mean? But um, it's, uh, you learn a lot of communication skills when you are around different cultures, which is nice when you're traveling. Yeah. What, um, what are you doing next? What's happening? Like, you're, I know you're not... What, in life? As in... Are you writing something? Are you doing online coaching? Are you? I know you're doing some speaking now. Yeah, I'm. I'm finishing my book, which is like the never-ending story. Because, so like, let's say my talk at IFS, I was doing thirty minutes, passing it on. So you're doing thirty minutes. Yeah, I practiced that talk a dozen times. I spent hours over getting it meticulous, tweaking it, making it look good. I have this like perfectionism and uh, intertwined with anxiety. And this was for like a free chat. And I do the same with YouTube videos, do the same with infographics. I put like a lot into it. So the idea of writing a book, all of a sudden I'm like, I want this to be fucking amazing. And I I think I spoke to James and I spoke to Luke. And I said, this is how much I've written. And Luke was like... You've written a lot. He said, are you writing two books? He's like, we want this 90,000 words. You are coming up onto 150,000 words. He's like, this is it's getting out of hand. But the thing is, every time I wrote a chapter, I was like, I want this to have everything I want in it. And I basically wrote two books. So I'm now speaking to an editor. And I said, look, I'm going to go into detail. There's going to be a lot of science. But if you feel like you can trim everything out, if there's anything that is detailed for detailed sake and it doesn't add to what I'm talking about, tell me and I'll cut it out. So I'm going through that now. Hopefully it should be ready by the beginning of next year. And then whatever project two is i might do something called like project y so it's one <laughs> after project x <laughs> project y project triple x project triple vin x. diesel on the front i feel like i can just talk to you forever you know let's do it let's do oh, it let's get, get a mojito uber eats get pizza just sit and chat every time i go on a podcast well i say every time i only do podcasts with people i like yeah but it means that I realised that we're just basically just chatting shit for a couple of hours, and then yeah. we're like, "Oh, we should probably wrap we, it up because they were once a five five hour long podcast." No, we're gonna wrap. We're gonna have to wrap it up because we're gonna go train. Yeah, because I'm wanna. We'll record that as well because yeah. I want to show people how much bigger my arms are than yours. Let's do it with editing. <laughs> with editing, guys. Thank you very much for listening to this episode, Ben. They know where to find you. You tell them where to find you. Instagram's fine. BDC Carpenter. Search for Ben Carpenter. Yeah. Or just look on Darren's wall because it'll have tagged me in something. What is your middle name, by the way? Just out of curiosity. Uh, 
honestly people don't believe this the number of times I've had to explain it Benjamin David Cocaine Carpenter (laughs) I'm literally getting glared at legit I'll just I may as well tell you the story face to face now so anyone listening I'm now talking to the behind the scenes yeah Um, so my family used to be like a double barrel surname it was like cocaine it used to be Cocaine Frith my mum's surname and then over the years it went down to like a middle name so on Instagram, you know when you, you're a teenager and you start your first email address and I'd put in, oh, Ben Carpenter at hotmail.com and it was always like, Ben Carpenter has gone. You can be Ben Carpenter 37298 yeah. at AOL.com or Yahoo yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I'll just put in BDC Carpenter because no one ever had it. B Carpenter, Ben Carpenter, all gone. And I was like, oh, I'll do BDC Carpenter. Never did I think I was going to have to tell people my Instagram handle. I never envisaged this. So now when people say, oh, what's your Instagram? A guy this morning said, do you do online training because I want to look like you? What's your Instagram? And I was like, B-D-C Carpenter. And they're like, wait, two Cs. B-D Carpenter. No, no, no. B-D-C Carpenter. Benjamin David Cocaine Carpenter. Yes, I will show you a photo of my passport. <laughs> and that is how we'll end this episode. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me Thank on. Thank you, big man. Thank Absolute you for listening. Legend. Thank you. Oh. guys thank you for listening make sure you check out his page subscribe share peace and love i'll see you in the next episode no gun signs peace